Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and welcome to Season 2, Episode number 17 of The Lift. Before we get started today, a couple things to take care of. First of all, I wanted to thank all of the folks who continue to support us on Patreon, as well as the new supporters. We did lose a few people due to financial situations changing, and certainly we understand that. But we definitely appreciate the support for as long as those folks were able to support the show, and we certainly appreciate everyone who takes the time to rate and review the show in iTunes and give us a nice five-star review. It's always very humbling to read the reviews and the social media interactions, the messages that we get that way, just to hear from everyone how much the show means to them. It's really cool to be a part of making something that has more impact than just being a story to entertain you. And I have to say thank you to everybody who's taken the time to rate, review the show, to send us messages and emails, and to just let us know what the show really means to you. So we are getting close to the end of season two. We only have a few episodes left. Today's, of course. We'll be back in short order for the Halloween episode written by Brooke Wara. Then I have an episode coming out in November called Non-Binary. And a bonus episode for our Patreon supporters is planned for November as well. And then we'll be back for Christmas. And then it's season three. And that's kind of a big deal because we made a promise to those who donate all their time and effort and energy into making this show, that starting with season three, we were going to reward the artists, the authors, the composers, everyone who is extremely talented that makes this show happen. We never want to be an ad-supported show. We may consider some sponsors if they are really closely aligned with our goals. Like in the last episode, I told you guys about the headphones that we got from Studio and what I thought about them. You'll hear Cindy talk about her experience today. But we don't want to sell you hammers or socks or coffee pots or anything like that. So we're going to rely upon your support and the money that we put into the show ourselves in order to make it happen. That being the case, starting with season three, our plan is to get you one episode per month. That's kind of what our current level of support almost supports. We have, however, set a Patreon goal that will allow us to do a second episode a month, meaning that we can pay those folks for their work, and we can also afford to get some people involved to help with the editing and the production of the show. The more support we have on Patreon, the more episodes of the show we're going to be able to put out for you. And trust me, we want to put out as many episodes as possible. So, all that out of the way, we do have a great story to get to today, written by Tony Serechia, called The Future Behind, with a custom score by our good friend Nico of We Talk of Dreams. Before we do that, though, I want to let Cindy tell you about her experience with the Studio headphones, and also remind you, if you do want to support the show on Patreon, you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Thank you so much to everyone who listens for the honor of letting us share our stories with you and to everyone who supports the show in whatever form that takes. Cynthia Loman here. You may have heard Dan's review of the studio headphones we received. 
like it or not, now it's my turn. I'm no audiophile, but I do like good sound, especially with immersive experiences like audio drama podcasts like ours. We take so much time to fine tune the details of the lift from the music to the sound effects to the voices that it would be a shame to listen on subpar headphones. Anyone who knows me knows my frank nature, so I'm not going to say I like something just because it's free. I am happy to say the Studio Regent fits my oversized noggin quite comfortably, even during long recording and editing sessions, and the sound is great. These headphones connected easily to any device I tried and gave me the freedom of no cord while staying put on my big head. I am surprised they have become my go-to headphones. If you're looking for a pair of headphones, I think you'll be pleased with Studio, and you can get a 15% discount using the code THELIFT. Make sure that's all one word, no space, and use all caps. You'll get free shipping to anywhere in the world too. Visit Studio Sweden, that's S-U-D-I-O-S-W-E-D-E-N.com slash U-S. There you'll see all the models available. And if you happen to choose pink during the month of October, Studio will be donating 10% of all their profits from their pink products to the Pink Ribbon Foundation in Sweden. So get over there and get yourself a pair of great headphones at studiosweden.com. Hi, this is Tony Sarecki, and I'm the author of today's story, The Future Behind. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at tonysarecki.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate or change it? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. The squealing tires of a police car power sliding into the parking lot broke the morning silence. The crowned Victoria fishtailed and its rear quarter panel clipped the entrance pole, rattling the passenger and driver about like rotting teeth in an old man's head. Will moaned. Jesus, brother, you trying to finish what the bitch couldn't? Jimmy White knuckled the steering wheel and forced the car down a narrow aisle. He remembered an old television show about a couple of good old boys racing around the backwoods of Georgia in a customized Dodge Charger. He used to imagine that would be him and Will. Of course, no one in that show ever drove a refurbished cop car, 
and neither brother was ever gut-shot and bleeding out on the passenger seat. Will moaned again and pulled his hand away from his stomach. A stringy red fluid stretched between his dirty fingers and the wound. Man, that doesn't look so good. Dude, I told you to keep pressure on it. The Crown Vic hit a speed bump, and both men smashed their heads into the ceiling. How about you keep your eyes on the road? I still don't understand how she got a shot off. Jimmy twisted the wheel hard and drifted to the building's entrance. The rear tires echoed like a screaming woman in the near-empty garage. He ran to Will's door. Come on, bro, we gotta get you inside, Jimmy said. Are you sure this is where Amber lives? What are you, Google Maps? I know where my ex lives. Stop stalling. This place looks... odd. And familiar. Yeah. You boosted that Stang out of this lot last year. Oh, yeah. She was sweet. But no, something else. <laughs> Will coughed, spraying thick globs of blood and phlegm on the side of Jimmy's face. Nasty, man. Keep your fluids to yourself. Jimmy slipped his arm behind Will's back and lifted. No, Will moaned. Not happening, man. I'm not getting out of this car. Jimmy stood back. Don't be such a little girl, Willie. Will forced a smile. Or a grimace. Jimmy couldn't be sure. Let me shoot you in the gut, little brother. See how tough you are. You can't stay here, man. What are you going to do if the cops, the real cops, get here? Will took his free hand and drew his gun from his holster. The uniforms were from Party City, but the guns were real. He released the magazine and looked inside. Shit, I'm almost empty. Give me yours. Jimmy's hand went to his holster and stopped. You're not going to have a shootout with the police. Jimmy pushed his blonde hair back. Lay low. Civilians will think the car is real. I'm going to go get Amber and bring her back here. A shadow passed over Will's face. There's something wrong with this place, man. This isn't right. Jimmy pressed on the door lock and closed it, trapping Will. He didn't notice the oil pulling near the tire. Once inside the building, Jimmy adjusted his uniform, hat, and belt. He hadn't seen Amber since she started veterinarian school a couple of months back. It was a short relationship. They were already apart longer than they had been together. But they remained friends, including a few Netflix and chill nights at her place. He figured she would stitch Will's stomach and not ask too many questions. The last time he'd been here, there was a stairwell instead of a vast corridor with intricately designed moldings. He ran his hand along the carvings. It was turn-of-the-century-styled workmanship. He continued through the hallway and saw a desk with a bell. He was positive that wasn't here the last time he visited Amber. The child <laughs> giggled. He spun toward the sound. Behind him were the doors to an elevator. Jimmy checked again and didn't see anyone or any cameras. He turned toward the desk. Behind it were rows of a type of mailbox Jimmy had never seen. Each individual box was brass with an embossed eagle and the letters U.S. etched into the shield on the eagle's chest. Two knobs above the eagle 
were imprinted with letters. Below the eagle were three numbers, apartment numbers. None of them helped him find Amber's apartment. Maybe this was the wrong building. The child giggled again. <laughs> when he turned, a young girl holding an old-time music box stood there. His hands went to his chest. Jesus, girl. You about gave me a heart attack. Where are your parents? They aren't here. My name is Victoria. And you are? I'm Officer Brady. And I'm looking for someone. Victoria giggled again. <laughs> and it sent the creepers through Jimmy's blood. I don't think you're being completely honest with me, Jimmy. Jimmy puffed up. He wasn't going to allow some kid to throw him off his game, even if she knew his name. Listen, little girl. That's not how you talk to a police officer. Now, my partner... Brother. Victoria corrected. What did you say? Your brother is in need of medical assistance, and if he doesn't get it soon, he will die. Jimmy's lips moved, but no words came out. Don't worry. I've already sent the surgeon to your car. Your brother will get what he deserves. Jimmy dropped all pretense of being a policeman and drew his gun. Look, kid, I'm not playing with you. How would you even know about my brother? I know all sorts of things. For instance, the gun you're holding isn't real. Jimmy shook his head. You don't know how much I wish that were true. It's a prop. Jimmy tested the gun's weight in his hand. It did feel a little light. He looked at the barrel. Stamped on its side were the words, Made in Japan. It had been real. But now, somehow, it wasn't. Jimmy stared at the gun. It was as if he were looking through a bottle of Jack Daniels and he slumped against the wall to keep from fading. I need to help Will, he said, in a voice no louder than a church whisper. You did something very bad today, didn't you, Jimmy? How could she know? Jimmy disconnected. He was watching someone else in a cop costume, holding a toy gun and leaning against the wall in a building that couldn't exist. Let's take a look at some photos. I need to know more about you before we... Jimmy moved to the chair next to Victoria, more out of the inability to stand on his feet than any desire to see what was in the box. I don't want to look at pictures. Will needs my help. Jimmy's voice was raspy, and his tongue scratched the roof of his mouth like a dried-out piece of sandpaper. We have a basement floor to take care of men like your brother. Her voice softened. Now, look at this picture. In the faded Polaroid, he was six, and Will was eight. They were at a cookout at their Aunt May's house, playing with a tan and white mutt. Their mom stood over them, smiling. In a year, her boyfriend would kill her after a night of drinking. The next picture was of his mom sitting astride the bike, smiling at the camera her corn-colored hair blowing in the wind. Jimmy dropped the picture on the desk and stood. How did you get these? That would be telling. Jimmy ran to the door. You can't leave, Jimmy. Not yet. And even if you could, where would you go? Look, kid. 
You don't want to mess with me, right? Just let me go to my brother, and you won't have any trouble. <laughs> We're past not having any trouble, Victoria said. Nothing was simple anymore. Not since Will bought the ex-cop car, complete with bully bar at auction. Sure, at first it was cool. They'd ride around country roads and put the fear of Jesus into some chicas who were out DUIing in the wee hours of the morning. Let them off with a warning if they surrendered their phone numbers. Then, Will got a plan. He painted the car state police colors. Or as close as he could get. Will never thought anything was dangerous. He thought danger was being unprepared. Jimmy knew danger was the stupid shit Will thought was fun. How did this window get broken? Victoria asked, holding another picture in her hand. Jimmy shook his head. He and Will were standing on either side of a broken plate glass window on a Dairy Queen across from the high school. Jimmy was pointing to the window, smiling, and Will's two thumbs were pointing at his chest while a pair of workers replaced the window. Why do you care? It's important. Why? Victoria narrowed her eyes. I'll have to make a choice later, and I need to know everything. The little girl standing before him was maybe nine years old, but everything about her belonged in an old black and white movie like her vintage blonde waterfall curls. Goosebumps rose on Jimmy's arms. I was a freshman. Will was a sophomore. He'd been held back twice. A couple of nights earlier, we were walking home after a dance. Just me, Will, and a couple other guys from our gang. A few of the local burnouts were hanging out in front of the DQ, and one of them asked if they could bum a smoke. I was going to give him one when Will stepped between us. Get a job, loser, Will said. We laughed and started to walk away. Now, I was never sure, but it sounded like the kid said, Your mother's a loser. Our mom had died just a few years earlier when her drunken-ass boyfriend crashed his Harley into the side of a semi. I got in the kid's face and dared him to say it again. Will pushed me out of the way, grabbed the kid by the collar of his denim jacket, and threw him through the window of the DQ. Will followed him through and smashed a piece of glass into the kid's face and kept repeating, Say it again! Say it again! Me and one of our gang pulled Will off the kid. Blood was everywhere. It looked like the kid was crying tears of blood, and Will's hands looked like he'd been washing them in a bucket of red paint. That's horrible. What happened to the other boy? Victoria asked. Jim sighed. It was supposed to be a simple job. The armored truck approached the Highway 41 spur, and Jim waved them off the road. His uniform was crisp, and the lights on his patrol car flashed. Jim jumped onto the driver's side running board. Gonna need you to take the spur over into Bellevue. Gas leak up the highway. I'll keep the back covered. The driver's eyes narrowed, and his lips were tighter than a nun's ass. Jim put his hand on his gun. The two men stared at each other. Let's just get it done, the pregnant shotgun rider suggested, 
It was another minute before the driver nodded. Jimmy smiled and jumped off the truck's running board. They were a few miles into the spur where Will was supposed to be waiting with the boosted dump truck, but wasn't. The driver looked in his side-view mirror and shook his head. Jimmy decided he would punch out at the next intersection. An air horn shattered the silence and a dump truck barreled out of the intersection and smashed into the back of the armored truck, which teetered and slid into the thicket of pine trees. The dump truck rammed the armored truck again, caving in one side of the back and crushing the driver's door. Will jumped out of the truck with his shotgun raised. Jimmy slammed the Crown Vic into park and raced out of the car. What the hell, man? No one was supposed to get hurt. No one has, Will replied. He climbed up onto the driver's side. Hello, folks. This is a robbery. Now, you have to know I mean business, so... Will used the butt of his shotgun to finish the job of smashing the window. Jimmy pulled himself up on the passenger's side. The woman and the driver were both frozen, their hands by their guns. Jimmy tapped on the glass and shook his head. Please don't hurt us. I'm pregnant. Well, congratulations, missus. But I have to establish I am in control. Your driver here, he looks like he wants to shoot me. And what kind of burglar would I be if I let that happen? Will rooted around for something on his belt. Please, we only make $13 an hour, the woman said. How's your medical? Will asked, a moment before he sprayed the driver with a can of mace. The driver grabbed his eyes and screamed. Now, little miss, if you stay right there and let me and my brother go about our business, you'll have a harrowing tale to tell your children and grandchildren. And my brother the microphone to your radio. Her hand shook as she opened her window wide enough to slide the CB-styled mic to Jimmy, who cut the mic's cord and threw it into the woods. Don't move, and everything will be fine, Jimmy said, jumping off the side of the truck. Will was already around back, staying clear of the gun port. He knocked twice. Jimmy and Will exchanged glances. Will shrugged. Do you want to die for $13 an hour? Jesus, that's not even a living wage, Will said. Jimmy looked at his watch. Now you're wasting my time, Will said. If I have to shoot the pregnant lady in her stomach, that's going to be on you. The lock on the door clicked, and the door squeaked open. The guard inside held on to his shotgun with shaking hands. Jimmy took a moment to recognize the scars on the guard's face, but the guard and Will recognized each other immediately. Jimmy brought his hands to his ears to shield them from the shotgun's blasts. Your brother killed him, didn't he? The boy from the store? Victoria asked. Jimmy nodded. No one was supposed to get hurt. Victoria handed him another photograph. The driver, red eyes and goo running down his face, pushing the door open. It all went sideways from there, Jimmy told Victoria. Dude, what the hell? He shot first, Will said. Load the car. Why? What are you going to do? 
Will tilted his head as if he was talking to a stupid puppy. Just load the car. The armored car driver stepped out from the corner of the truck. Jimmy later thought the driver had started shooting. He'd still be alive. Drop your guns, the driver yelled. Will charged him, firing shell after shell. The driver backpedaled. One of Will's shells caught the driver in the shoulder, tearing his arm off. The next was in the driver's head. Victoria held another picture where Will was looking back at Jimmy. Wait, there wasn't a camera on the truck. Where are you getting these? Jimmy stood and pushed away from the table. Stay away from me, kid. Get my brother and we're getting out of here. Look at this picture and you can see your brother later. After a stare down, Jimmy looked away and took the picture from Victoria's hand. For a moment, his finger brushed hers and he felt a goose walk over his grave. She smiled, but there was something disturbing behind her smile. He looked at the picture because he couldn't look at Victoria any longer. This picture looked like it had been taken from a drone over the scene. The tops of the two trucks were visible. The driver lay on the ground, his head obliterated. Will was at the front of the truck. The pregnant woman was lying on the side trying to reach the woods, her gun drawn but her focus was escape, not her job. Jimmy ran to the same side of the truck as the woman. In Jimmy's mind, the picture went on to his point of view. Her erratic breathing set the pace of the scene. Jimmy didn't want her to shoot him, nor did he want to shoot her. The woman clutched at her leg as she dropped to one knee. She turned and raised her gun. No! Another gunshot. Closer. Will was grabbing his stomach. The pregnant lady lay face down in the grass. Jimmy looked at his gun. Smoke floated out of the barrel. Jimmy stood alone at the desk. What the hell had happened? He had to get Will. He ran through the hall and slid trying to bank into the turn for the stairway. He took the steps two at a time. At the end of the staircase, he pushed through a red fire door and stepped into a hallway lit with exposed bulbs. The exposed bricks looked damp, and the smell of mold made Jimmy cover his nose. Yellow light flickered under the door of a room ahead. Jimmy trotted. Inside the room was a solitary, man-sized box on a table and a figure with a humped shoulder leaning over and making adjustments. Jimmy was about to back out of the room when he heard his name. Is that you, Jimbo? The voice shook. The figure straightened and turned toward Jimmy, stopping when his profile was in view. They will be here soon, the figure rasped. Make your goodbyes. You don't want to be here when they arrive. Jimmy's legs locked in place. The creature's nose bent like a hawk's beak, and the visible eye socket was too large for his head. The creature backed into the shadows. Jimbo, I did something, 
Please, help me. Jimbo, the name Will used for Jimmy when he was feeling sentimental or drunk. If this were a rescue, Jimmy thought. He wasn't doing a good job of it. The shadows and the smells gave the room a tomb atmosphere. Jimmy gasped when he saw what had become of his brother. When Will saw Jimmy, his words flew out of his mouth like vomit. Jimbo, get me out of here, man. Surgeon, dude, their eyes were sewn shut. They kept saying I had a chance. I don't know what they were talking about, bro. We gotta get out of here. Find the bitch who shot me. She can identify me. Us. Tell him, James. Jimmy spun. Victoria was close enough to touch. She held a music box emanating a strange green light. She turned the crank, and an off-kilter tune played. You, Will moaned. I remember you. It did happen. Jimmy, stay away from her. She's a demon or something. It's over, James. This is your first trial. As the sound of the music box got louder, the wall in front of Will's box split into two pieces, sliding open in opposite directions. Will's box moved forward, though Jimmy couldn't see the method of locomotion. Whatever she told you, man, do it! The music box grew louder. The maw opened like a giant brick beast, and Jimmy tried to pull on the box to stop its forward movement. You won't be able to stop it. The surgeon couldn't... Well, wouldn't fix him. You better tell him. Tell me what? Tell him, or it will be with you forever. It was me, goddammit. I shot you, not the pregnant lady. Will tilted his head, and his eyes narrowed. What? Why the fuck would you shoot me? You were out of control. I couldn't let you kill her. Jimmy turned toward Victoria. There! Are you happy? Let us go, Victoria. He needs real help, not this nightmare shit. Your brother was offered a chance. He failed. Now it's your chance. Jimmy raised his fists. No! I did what you wanted! We're both getting out of here! The music grew louder. Jimmy fell to his knees the sound of the box vibrating in every bone in his head. He dropped the gun and put his hands over his ears. Before he closed his eyes, he saw the wall swallow Will's box as flames rose to embrace it. Both brothers screamed. Jimmy was still screaming when he opened his eyes. He was on his knees in the parking lot, hands on top of his head. Stand up, face the building, and walk backward toward us, the officer said through the megaphone. Seven police cars had surrounded him, and twice as many officers were pointing all manner of guns at Jimmy. He stood and faced the building. Gone was the the turn-of-the-century red brick design. Instead, a modern building of cement and glass stood in its place. Even the parking lot looked different. I said start walking, asshole. 
The Crown Vic was in flames. Had Will tried to shoot it out with the police? Don't make me tell you again. Jimmy took his first uncertain step, backward toward his future. writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please? Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Lift. The Lift is a Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get fun rewards like bookmarks, and of course, the more generous you are, the more fun the rewards are. Victoria really does need your support to keep her lift running. The more of you that press that button, the more often the lift arrives. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on victoriaslift.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, be careful when you enter the elevator. You never know where it's going to take you.